want to put this next slide up and I really want to then just speak into it. Pray for Ukraine. Now, why on earth would we pray for Ukraine? Now, before we, we look at that, I'm going to tell you a story I heard many years ago. And that was a story about what happened in Russia in 1917. 1917, literally the night that Lenin and his Red Revolution started the revolution, started going through Moscow with knives and killing people just in cold blood who were, they felt, felt, felt could resist their revolution. That very night, I heard a story of what the church was doing. Now, the Russian Orthodox Church was the established um, church in Russia at the time. And the clergy were having a heated debate the night Lenin was taking power. And this is what they were discussing. Not discussing, arguing, a heated argument about the length of their clerical robes. How many inches from the ground the clerical robes should be. While people were being murdered and a revolution that literally shook the world was happening in the streets of that same city. And when I heard that, the thing that hit me was how relevant was the church in Moscow at that night in 1917. How important do you think it was to ordinary citizens how many inches from the ground the clerical robe should be? And I was so struck by that and I was struck by a deep conviction that we can't bury our heads in the ground and ignore what's happening in the real world. You know, our God, if you read the Bible, a lot of the Bible is history. And, we, and, and history, I want to submit to you, is, is the word His story. We can see the hand of God in it. And God actually wants us to play a part in history by prayer. Hence, pray for Ukraine. We can shape history through our prayers. Amen. And so I've been astounded. My daughter at school has been shocked at how few people in her school know what's happening in Ukraine. And I'm not just saying this week. I'm saying over the last few weeks. Have been totally clueless to what's happening in our world. Many people reckon that it's, it's, it's the most significant thing happened in Europe, in Ukraine this week, in the last 80 years. Since the end of the Second World War. I hope you've heard of the Second World War. Okay? And I'm not going to say this is a third world war, etc. You get those doomsayers. And I, I, I can't tell you where this is going to go, but it's significant. And so, absolutely, I'm not preaching from newspaper headlines. We're going to preach from the word. And a lot of people are asking, you know, sure, pastor, is this the end? You know, is Jesus coming? And I actually want to emphatically say we're going to look at what Jesus said about the end. We're going to look at, it's not, don't go there. We're going to look at Mark 13. You can actually go to the next slide, um, Amu. And so my message title is Wars and Rumors of Wars. Um, and those are the words of Jesus from Mark 13. Those are his words. He used these phrase, wars and rumors of wars. And this is where we are at. On Thursday night, we Thursday morning, we woke up to the news that Russia had invaded Ukraine. Folks, Ukraine is a country. It's the second biggest country in Europe after Russia. <laughs> it is bigger than France and Germany put together. It is a nation of 44 million people. They gained their independence uh, from 30 years ago. They've been independent for 30 years. And 
And Russia invaded with a force of, they reckon, up to 200,000 soldiers with air bombardments, missile attacks, etc. that started at 4 a.m. on Thursday morning. The world was shocked. Europe was shocked. Ukraine was shocked. So many people thought it would never happen. The, the, the many intelligence services, U.S. and British intelligence services, have been saying they're going to invade, they're going to invade, and people just couldn't believe it. People were in shock. The first few days, people were in shock. But since Thursday, the world has galvanized a massive resistance to this unprovoked, unjustified, huge bombardment and attack of Ukraine. And so I want to speak into this. And uh, firstly, you know, I, I try to explain this to my kids. And then I saw in one of the articles a guy actually explained it so well. And I'm going to put it up for you. What's going on there? I quite like this. So on the next slide, I don't know who this guy is. His name's Zinclair, and there's his Twitter picture. So I don't know. Maybe you know him. I don't know him. Uh, he's some South African dude. Um, and he t tweeted this. Someone explain Putin versus Ukraine. Putin is the Russian prime minister, or president, should I say. Someone explain Putin versus Ukraine like you are explaining to a 10-year-old. Okay, this is his intention. And his analogy is so similar to the analogy that I used when I was trying to explain to the kids, my kids, what's happening. So he said this, you know Namibia gained independence from SA in 1990, right? You do know that, eh? So don't say no if you don't know. We, we, we don't need to know that. Let's say Ramaphosa now wants Namibia to be incorporated back into SA. But Namibia wants to join some treaty organization and remain a sovereign country. So Ramaphosa gets annoyed and sends the SA army to Namibia. I think it's a very good, simple analogy of what's happening over there. You may not agree with me, okay? I don't know who this dude is, but I thought this is, this is kind of making it simple, simple enough for 10-year-olds. But he uses this word here, for example, uh, remain a sovereign country. What does that mean? And so I want to just, just try to highlight one of the things that I've been looking at is what is really going on here? Yes, there are bombs and rockets and tanks and... The Ukrainians are fighting like crazy and citizens are getting arms, etc. What on earth is happening here? I got a little video. I think let's do the video here. So I got a little video. Now, there are many videos and it's incredible on YouTube that you can actually watch live news on YouTube. I'm amazed. Uh, you don't need fancy subscriptions to any, anything. And this was a little clip I found this morning. It's three minutes. Now, there are various aspects that I could have highlighted. But what I'm picking out, on Thursday morning when the rockets started landing r all across Ukraine and the Russian forces from the south, east, north, uh, just not from the west because there are other countries there, from all around, Russian forces just, just went straight into Ukraine. The world was shocked. Ukraine was shocked. They were not prepared for this massive onslaught. But in the last three days, things have changed radically. Ukrainians were initially like in total fear, but the whole nation of 44 million people have galvanized and they are volunteering to fight in their numbers. The Ukrainian army is a total of 150,000 soldiers. Just compared to the, 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 the Russia, which has a total, total uh, reserve force of up to 2 million. Okay, So it's not a fair fight this at all.
but the Ukrainian people are volunteering. And so this is a video clip that came out this morning that I saw, and I thought it's so good, just giving us a glimpse into what's happening and how just common people are going and saying, give me a gun, I want to fight these Russians. Okay, so just have a look. Let's just to get an, in, a glimpse as to what's happening. In Ukraine right now, everyone is in the middle of a battle, even families fighting to escape the war. You can actually see they're, they're pushing the gates open, trying to get past any way they can. And you notice there's, there's no men of fighting age here because anybody, regardless if you're a father or whomever you are, if you're of the age to fight the war, you're staying back and you're taking the Russians head on. In the cities under siege, brave Ukrainians aren't just the ones wearing uniforms. Volunteer fighters, civilians armed with assault rifles, patrolling central Kyiv, ready to defend their country and protect their families. This video shows a Ukrainian throwing a homemade Molotov cocktail at a Russian fuel truck. And this video posted on Facebook, but not shot by NBC News, shows a Ukrainian man kneeling before a Russian tank, an attempt to stop it in its path. Other civilians seen handing out weapons. The former president of Ukraine calling on anyone who can to join the fight. I don't have a weapon in my hand yet, but I have it with me. <laughs> and uh, I do it uh, with a great pleasure to protect Ukraine. Former heavyweight champion and current Kyiv mayor Vitaly Klitschko and his brother, also a former prize fighter, Vladimir, stepping up as well. Please get into action now. Don't wait. Act now. Stop this war. Enlisting in Ukraine's reserve army earlier this month. Back in the U.S., Peter Dunk, a father of six, desperate to get his family out of Ukraine. A pastor, his church back home, working to drive families caught in the chaos away from danger. Dunk says through a translator, he'll do anything to keep his kids and everyone safe. I'll go into that battle, I'll go into that mess to help people. As families flee, so many others stain to fight, showing Russia Ukraine's greatest weapon is its people. Tom, you saw firsthand the sacrifices the Ukrainian families are having to make as they desperately try to leave Ukraine. Jose, the desperation I saw in the eyes of those families is unlike anything I've ever seen before. In some cases, husbands are walking with their families for days, for miles, dropping them off at the border, and then going back to fight. And tonight, Russia is realizing it is at war with an entire country. Ukraine's military telling its civilians, if you have weapons, use them. Take down street signs to confuse the invaders. And if you see Russian troops in a forest, set it on fire. Jose? There we go, folks. I just wanted to give you an insight into what's happening. And I think what is so important for us is to, and, and this has been for me, what is, what, what are the issues here? And so one of the, one of the commentators said this. They said, if you, go, if you go to the next slide, the greatest casualty of war is truth. When there's war, two sides Ultimately, it is about truth. Yes, there's guns and, and etc. involved, but it is what is the truth? What are the principles that are being fought over here? And so, my history teacher, when I was in standard seven, grade nine, said this to me, to us as a class. He said, You cannot kill an idea with a gun. 
You cannot kill an idea with a gun. And I want to submit to you, there are ideas that are being fought for. There are principles, there are truths that are being fought for. And I want to put just three of them up there that I've just been highlighting. The first one, so what are the truths, ideas, or principles at stake? The first one is territorial integrity. If you listen to some of the speeches being made, on Monday, Russia declared that the two eastern provinces that they stoked a rebellion in, in 2014, they declared they free countries. They basically carved out parts of Ukraine and said, we recognize them as free countries. People that they'd given guns to send their soldiers in unmarked uniforms to go fight the Ukrainians and said, it's ours. Uh, or it's, it's not Ukraine. Territorial integrity, what's it about? It's about boundaries. We did a series on boundaries end of last year. Folks, boundaries matter. And I want to submit you, more bloodshed and conflict has happened in our human history over boundaries than, than you and I would, would ever imagine. If we, had to, if we had to just say, I mean, the whole war world would be at war with each other if we had to start violating boundaries and territorial integrity. So I want to say it's an important principle. I know the boundaries where they are in the world today of the, the many nations. There's a lot of injustice that happened in making that boundary there. But we've got to let things of the past go. And, and we can't keep fighting about things from 300, 200, 300 years ago. We'll just kill each other. The next principle is this. The sovereignty of nations. The sovereignty of nations. And this word applied to nations is the, is the ability to choose. And what are we talking about here? Basically, the, the Russian President Putin does not like the fact that Ukraine decided in 2014 something major happened in Ukraine. They, there was massive street protest. Thousands of Ukrainians went to the streets to protest against their president that was a puppet of Russia and incredibly corrupt. So much so they were able to kick him out of office in 2014. What happened then was that Ukraine decided that they wanted to join the European Union. And the Russian president doesn't like this. He doesn't like the fact that they have chosen that. And so now he wants to bomb them. And, and I want to submit, he can't kill an idea. These people have tasted freedom, the freedom to choose. He's not going to bomb them into submission. The next principle is democracy, which I trust you all understand, the freedom to choose leaders. And one of the, one of the, one of the principles here is we've got to assess these things. Are these things biblical? And my conviction is they are. Boundaries are found all over scriptures. You know, the Lord so often established boundaries by his word saying, listen, this is the way I want you to live. Boundaries are so important. We've got to respect them. Uh, the ability to choose. The Lord said, I lay before you life and death, not choose life, he said through Moses. And so the ability to choose is so biblical. And, you know, we see where Moses was asked to, to, to get the people to choose leaders. This principle of d democratic uh, government is just so important. And so these are, I believe, biblical principles. And I want to say to you, this is really what's been fought about. This is what's been fought over. Okay. But I want to come back to just some, some scriptures. Acts 17, verse 26. So it says, He made from one man every nation of mankind. Speaking about Adam. Folks, you and I can trace our 
roots, not just spiritually, genetically to Adam. And it's been proven that, that the genetic difference between people all across the world is not as different as some people would make you think. From one man of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods, that's history, and the boundaries of their dwelling place, geography. Folks, the Lord has determined your history. Why are you right here, right now? In 2022, you're alive in South Africa. Your history, this is your history. What's happening in Ukraine, it's our history. My, I'm, I speak to my daughter and she said, I'm going to tell my children about this one day. You probably will as well. I remember speaking to my dad. My dad was born just before the Second World War. My dad told me stories about what it was like. He lived in South Africa. The impact during the Second World War of living here, what it was like. I remember those stories. So God determines our history and the boundaries of their dwelling places, our geography, where you stay. It's not a mistake that you here, or Ukrainians are in Ukraine, or Russians are in Russian, folks. God ordained it. But look at what verse 27 says, that they should seek God. Folks, God divinely orchestrates your history and your geography that you may seek God. And perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him, folks. Seek that you may find Yet, he's, an, he's actually not far from each one of us. Folks, you wonder why you're here and this time, etc. God has ordained it that ultimately you would find him. You would get to know him. Amen. So I want to go on and I want to look at this. I said we're going to look at Mark 13. And this is quite, quite a wow portion of scripture. Mark chapter 13, the whole chapter. Because there's some stuff in there that have, I don't know when I first read it, it kind of mildly freaked me out. It's like, oh my goodness, must I pack my stuff and run for the hills? Because that's kind of what it says. But I want us to look at it and we can learn from this. This is what Jesus said to his disciples and it says in verse 1, oh, the, the, little, the little description, you know the little title in my Bible, said, Jesus foretells destruction of the temple. We're going to look at this after we've read the scripture. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. What is Jesus doing? He's talking about the destruction of the temple. So, on the next slide, I've got a picture for you. And this is, this is a picture taken in Jerusalem. This is the southern boundary wall. It's a retaining wall at the Temple Mount. And this guy is pointing out, he's holding one of the very bottom row of stones of this wall. Look how big that stone is. They reckon that... I mean, I forget the, 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 the size of those stones and the weight of them. They reckon that modern construction cranes would not be able to pick up one of those stones. It's phenomenal how they built the temple. And this isn't actually even the temple itself. This is the retaining wall on the southern side behind the temple. By the way, in the back is, is the Mount of Olives, if you just want to know what that looks like. 
the wall, the, the smaller stones on top, that was built years later on top of this row of stones. That's all that's left of not even the temple, but the retaining wall behind the temple. That is how completely the Romans destroyed the temple. Historians can't even figure out exactly where the temple was. The Romans so utterly and completely destroyed the temple. Now, what motivated them so much? Folks, this temple, it was known as Herod's temple, it was actually, he was upgrading it, Herod was, took 80 years. It was finished in the year 62 AD. It was destroyed in the year 70 AD, eight years after they finished it. I mean, that's a bit soul-destroying, I would say. Imagine hauling big pieces of rock like that for 80 years, and then, <laughs> then the Romans destroy it. But what happened, the, 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 the Jews started rebelling against the Romans, and initially it went really well. They had some military successes. But then the might of the Roman army came, and they laid siege to Jerusalem. They started this siege in the year 66 AD, and they, they laid siege to the city for four years. Folks, for four years, people were trapped inside Jerusalem. I mean, just think of lockdown. Now think of being locked in your home for four years without the ability of going out to the shops. Okay? And just tell me what level of famine and desperation would have been in the city. So, I'm not going to describe to you, you join the dots in your own head, what happened. When the Romans eventually got in, because the Jews had been so... Their, their, their military... The attacks on the Romans were quite, were quite vicious. The Romans had no time for the Jews. And the, the temple in Jerusalem that had been built was incredibly beautiful. It was covered in gold. At the outside, they said in the, when in the sun was shining, you literally couldn't even look at the temple because of the gold that uh, covered it. And the story is that the, the Romans actually set the temple alight. But what happened in this ferocious fire, because remember it had massive, the columns were all made of timber, remember, cedars of Lebanon. And the gold melted on, on the whole dome and inside everywhere there was gold. And the gold melted and went into the cracks of the, of the foundations of the temple. And the Romans were so determined to get all the gold that they, they literally pulled up the foundations of the temple to get to the gold. And so the destruction of the temple was complete and utter, and that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So that is what happens. And so, folks, when Jesus prophesies, hey guys, some things are going to happen, let's listen. It actually did happen. So I want to go on. So then, then there's this freaky stuff. In Mark 13, verse 14 to 20. I'm going to read it fast. It's going to be on the next slide. And, 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 I'm, and I'm putting it there because I actually want to unfreak you. Okay? So some of you freak out by this stuff. So get ready to be unfreaked. Okay? Because I'm going to explain to you what this means. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay? Are you in Judea? Just checking. Check your geography. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out. Verse 16. And let one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. 
For in those days there will be such tribulation as not had been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. For, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Folks, Jesus is talking here about what happened in the siege of Jerusalem when they ultimately went in and they ultimately destroyed the temple. But for four years, they were besieged by the Romans. They couldn't get in and out. And so, I want to set you at ease. Remember I said, I'm going to unfreak you out. This has happened, folks. So many people say, oh my goodness, look what's happening in Ukraine. Must I flee? Must I pack my bags? Where do I go? This portion of scripture, most Bible scholars agree, has actually happened. Okay? And the amazing thing is, historians tell us that because of these words of Jesus, when the Roman armies came to besiege Jerusalem, the Christians remembered Jesus' words. They packed their bags and they left. And apparently, according to records, the Christians were actually not destroyed in the siege of Jerusalem. So, isn't that an amazing story of God's redemption? And so... There we go. You've just been unfreaked. Okay, there we go. There isn't such a word, but you've just learned something there. But Jesus actually went on to say in verse 3, he said, and the heading in my book is, my Bible, is the signs of the end of the age. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. So remember that picture I showed you, the Mount of Olives? So Jesus was sitting on that mountain over there. Um, the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Verse 6. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. Folks, Jesus is going through a list of the signs of the end of the age. Now, first you would ask yourself, what is an age? Now, that has been debated. And many Bible scholars actually agree, Jesus is talking the period between his first coming and his second coming, okay? That is the time we're living in now, okay? The time from his ascension till when he comes back again, that is the age. So this is going to happen. And you think, yeah, you know, that happened once, you know, in America. I was speaking to somebody literally this week who was sharing about somebody they know who was invited to a Bible study here in town. And apparently there were a lot of young people that went to this Bible study. And it started good about the kingdom of God, etc. And then these people started talking about their leader in South Korea, who went to a mountain and God spoke to him, and how God has chosen him to warn the world that he has got the corner on truth, and all the rest of the churches in the rest of the world have got it wrong. And everybody else must leave their churches and come to his church. And actually that Jesus is not God. And that Jesus was just a good oak, etc. And this, my friend said, when his friend heard these people saying that Jesus is not God, she freaked out. And she said, I can't be part of this. But they had been part of this Bible study since the beginning of the year. We end of February. Folks, this is happening. What does the Bible see? See that no one leads you astray. My friend's friend was being led astray. This isn't new. This isn't way back in America many years ago. This hap is happening in Peter Maritzburg this year. Amen. This is so relevant. What else does Jesus say? What are the other signs? Look at this. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars. Ha, 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 ha. 
Okay? What do we do? We freak out, we pack our bags, we run to a cave in the hills. Jesus said, do not be alarmed. I can't say I wasn't alarmed when I heard the news. But Jesus said, don't be alarmed. And then he says, this must take place, but the end is not yet. Folks, I cannot tell you because there's war in Ukraine that, Ukraine that the end is here. I know some people are. I can't say that. Why? Because Jesus said the end is not yet. Verse 8. For nation will rise against nation and the kingdom and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of birth pains. So birth pains. What are birth pains? Folks, do you know that birth pains come and go? My wife has had four children. I was responsible. I take full responsibility for all of that. Okay? But this is the thing about birth pains. They come and go. There are times in between my wife's birth pains that it was actually fine. She was fine. She could talk. But then the birth pain comes and it's quite intense. And folks, Jesus uses this analogy that it's going to be like birth pains. We are going to have times that it's really tough, but we're also going to have times where it's peaceful. This is the age between when Jesus first came and Jesus comes again. We're going to have, it's going to be like birth pain. Sometimes it's intense. It's like, and then it's gone. The birth pain is gone. And it's like, we can actually do this. And I just want to say, the cycles of history are going to repeat themselves in our generation, in our children's generation, in the generation to come. We need to prepare our children for tough times and make sure that when the good times roll, that they don't get carried away and spend everything and don't keep savings for when the tough times happen, okay? Life is cyclical and it's going to be like that until Jesus comes. But Jesus said, the end is not yet when we hear wars and rumors of wars. But he went on to say, and he said this, be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Folks, it's another one of the signs of the end of the age. Now you say, well, great, you know. There are, there are organizations that specifically focus on Christians and the, persecu- the persecuted Christians and the persecuted church. The stats are that since in, in the last 2,000 years, since Jesus, they estimated about 168 million Christians have been m- murdered for their faith. 168 million in the last 2,000 years. There are countries in the world today where you could lose your life if you serve Jesus. What's happened in northern Mozambique now, folks, with the insurgency, Muslim insurgency in northern Mozambique, Heidi Baker's ministry, they have had pastors that have been killed. They've had pastors whose hands have been chopped off and tongues have been cut out because they're preaching the gospel. This is now, while you and I are breathing, while you and I are sleeping, this is happening in northern Mozambique. Now, let's come back to Ukraine. Folks, this, this is signs of the times. It's, it, it happens. And so, this is real stuff. When Jesus said, you will be beaten, etc., folks, it's real stuff. How do we respond? We pray because God answers prayer. Amen. And I want to come to the next thing that Jesus said. He said, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. 
the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. There's a cross-reference to Matthew 24. It's a very similar portion of Scripture. And this is what Jesus, uh, how, how Matthew records it. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Folks, I can't tell you because Ukraine's invade, been invaded that the end will come. But I can tell you emphatically, Jesus said the end will come once we, you and me, this isn't the job just of angels, once we preach the gospel of the kingdom in all the world, and then the end will come. What does that mean? That means the end is not dependent on Russia invading Ukraine. God's not looking there and saying, oh, gee whiz, did you see? You know, Russia, Russia invaded Ukraine. Jesus, are you ready to go? He's not looking at, we're not looking at headlines. God isn't looking at newspaper headlines or, you know, news headlines. And, sh- and, and so I just want to ask, should we worry about God's end time timetable based on news headlines? I don't bury my head in the ground. I want to know what's going on. I want to know how to pray. I want to know how to respond. But, I, but God's timetable is not determined by that. It is determined by us taking the gospel to the ends of the age, to all nations. We're part of every nation. We are committed to taking the gospel to the nations. If you want to know when Jesus is coming, look at how effectively His church is taking the gospel to the ends of the age. We actually can affect God's timetable for the end by how effectively we are taking the gospel to the end of the age, uh, to the the nations. And remember, that word nations is ethnic groups, okay? Not nations as we define them by territorial boundaries today. And so, folks, when I first heard this many years ago, I was like, okay, so, you know, Vladimir Putin's not going to affect when Jesus is coming, okay? It is determined by us and our commitment to obey God and to go for God. Amen? Can you see how important the Great Commission is? God has tied in the, his, 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 his agenda for, for, for His return into our commitment to the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. That is His commitment, and that is why this is so, so significant. And that's why the Great Commission has unified churches throughout the generations, throughout the world, for so many centuries, because Jesus made this a priority. This is our mission, to take the gospel to the nations. Amen. And so I was so, I was so just liberated by, by, by a lot of end time stuff. And, and let me tell you, folks, when I was, when, when the Berlin Wall came down in 1990, and there were people who, who said this is the end times. I remember reading articles. The head of Russia at that stage, of the Soviet Union, was a guy called Gorbachev. And some of you will remember him. And he had a birthmark on his head over here. He was a bald guy and he had a birthmark over here. I read articles by Christians saying that that is the mark of the beast and he is ushering in the end of the world. That was 1990. I was a young man and I read end times stuff like crazy. And I was, I was determined to figure out when exactly Jesus would and come back and how, and I read stuff. And it didn't happen. And then, 94 was our elections, but 93, I was actually in the Free State in a little church. 
and they were totally freaked out by the violence in South Africa. Folks, if you were in South Africa in 93, it was a scary place. The townships were burning. There was mass riots all over. It was a scary place. I mean, you know, Armageddon was like, just look at the tires burning in the townships. It looks like Armageddon. People were freaked out. And again, I met a guy. He was convinced that 93, and he was telling me that Madiba was actually the Antichrist, not Gorbachev. Madiba, because wada wada. And this guy gave me a whole treatise on why Madiba, because he's saying peace, 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 and then the end will come. And, and I was freaked out. I didn't know what to believe. Folks, I have subsequently just decided, listen, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to not allow newspaper headlines to determine my view of end times. I'm actually going to believe what Jesus said. Let me tell you, people who lived through the Second World War, people who lived through the First World War, people who lived through the bubonic plague, Christians in the first century that were persecuted by the Romans were convinced, convinced that the end was nigh. And that's why the book of Revelation was written to first century Christians who were getting massacred. And so, folks, look what Jesus, Jesus went on to say. On the next slide, he said this, They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Folks, that is what Jesus' return is going to look like. Jesus said, with great power and glory, and he's going to send the angels together with the elect. I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm telling you, when I see the angels, I want to put my arms out. I'm going to say, here I am. Okay, take me away. I don't know about you. Have you thought about radio? I don't know if the angel's going to carry us. Maybe get on, the, on, on their back, but then I think kind of their wings may get in the way. Have you guys thought about that stuff? You guys don't read your Bible with a good imagination. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I think it's going to be cool to be carried, swept, what does the Bible say? Uh, by the angels. Okay. Many Christians are worried about, oh God, you know, have we missed the second coming? You know, I know war was declared on Thursday, but I was asleep then. Did Jesus come and... No, 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 folks. My Bible says with great power and glory, and he will gather his elect. If you are a child of God, don't worry, you're going to miss it out. When Jesus said great power and glory, I'm going to tell you, you don't need to watch CNN or ABC or SABC News to see if Jesus has come. I believe the heavens will light up. The world will know the, the Lord of glory has rocked up on the scene. Amen. I don't, you don't have to worry about, oh golly, I overslept. I should have set my alarm for 6 a.m. You know, folks, we will know when Jesus comes back. Amen. It's going to be glorious. Amen. And we will, the angels will come and take us up. And, and I'm looking forward to that ride. I'm just personally, okay. What else does Jesus say about his return? This is what he said. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So folks, I want to say, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. And when I say I don't know when Jesus is coming back, I'm actually saying, I'm aligning with Jesus. Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. So I get nervous when people are posting and publishing and saying, Jesus is coming back. I'm like, you know more than Jesus. You know more than the angels. Only the Father knows this. And it's determined by the gospel going to every ethnic group. It, it's determined by us fulfilling the Great Commission. That's what the Father's looking at, not looking at wars and rumors of wars. Yeah. 
And he went on to say and says, Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Be on guard, keep awake. This is, so how should our response be? Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. I'm okay that I don't know, because Jesus doesn't know, and the angels don't know, and if they don't know, I'm okay with some, some mystery in my life. Are you okay with some mystery in life? Amen? I trust the Father has the whole plan worked out. Amen? And we part of it. But Jesus goes on to tell the story, and let's just read the story, and there are two things I want to pull out from the story. And then he goes on to say, verse 34, It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Folks, I counted, Jesus said, Stay awake four times. These verses, and remember that in verse 33, also said, keep awake. Folks, and I just want to look, you know, that stay awake means keep alert, remain sensitive, remain vigilant. And folks, you know what this vigilance is? Not for, you know, headline news. It's a vigilance for the Lord. Not that we are going to miss His coming, because He said the heavens are going to be radiating the glory of God when He comes. It's a sensitivity to the Lord, not just for His coming. I believe Jesus said, this is how we're meant to live connected to the vine. We are meant to live sensitive to the Lord. We are meant to not dull our senses, you know, injecting drugs into our veins to null the pain and, and the bad news from, from Europe. Or, or he, We are meant to live with our sensitivity alert to the Lord, to be led by the Lord in everything we do. And so this is how we mean to live. Jesus is saying, so what do you do with all this end time stuff? There's going to be some folks who are going to get persecuted. You know, there are going to be wars, and there are going to be rumors of wars, and there's going to be, you know, uh, you know, earthquakes and all these things. So are we freaked out? No. We live with a sensitivity to the Lord. We live connected to the Lord. Amen. And, and I want to highlight one other thing from this passage. And I'm putting the message Bible up there to highlight this. And look what I'm highlighting. And this is how the message puts it. It's like a man who takes a trip. Now remember, the man in the story, Jesus, that, that's him going to heaven, okay? And leaving home and putting his servants, that's us, by the way, putting his servants in charge, each assigned to a task, a task, and commanding the gatekeeper to stand watch. I say to you, and I'm saying it to all. This isn't just for the pastors, guys. This is all of you. Stay at your post. Keep watch. Folks, this is profound. Jesus just listed. This is the end of the chapter. He's just listed wars and rumors of wars and persecutions and, 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 and earthquakes. And you're like, oh my goodness. Remember, a lot of it happened in the siege of Jerusalem, okay? But he's also describing stuff that happens between his first coming and his second coming. We know he's coming back. It's going to be glorious. We're going to catch a ride with angels. Looking forward to that. But what do we do until then? He's put his servants in charge, each assigned a task. Folks, what does that mean? Folks, you have got a task. You registered at university to study a degree. 
Because Russia's invaded Ukraine and Jesus could be coming, does that mean you deregister and just sit at home and wait for Jesus to come back? No. Finish your studies. Einstein's engaged to be married. Does he now freak out and say, Pam, sorry, Ooh, we can't do this anymore. Jesus is coming back. Sorry, give me back the ring. I don't even know if he's given a ring. I don't know. Sorry, forgive me if I've, if I've blown any cover there. I don't know. Sorry, Einstein, forgive me. Edit that out of the video. Einstein mustn't hear this. Okay. Is he going to now give up his engagement? No. Get married. Okay. I don't know what your Jesus is saying. Stick to your assigned task. Stay at your post. You have an assignment from God. Some people have, have said, you know, it's not time to pursue your dreams and callings, etc. No, you've got to stay at your post. Fulfill, ultimately, you've got to fulfill the Great Commission. That means that there's a portion of this earth that you need to go into people at your workplace that need to hear the gospel. Stay there. They need to hear the gospel. That determines when Jesus is coming. Amen? Stay at your post. Years ago, I heard this comment. Occupy until Jesus returns. Occupy. I read what he says when he says, putting his servants in charge, each assigning a task. Stay at your post. I'm like, occupy until Jesus comes. He left in this age. What do we do? There's going to be wars, earthquakes, persecutions. We stay at our charge. We don't give up. We stay alert. We stay connected to Jesus. We stay abiding in the vine, etc. But we occupy until He returns. Amen. We don't give up territory that we've taken. We don't retreat. Amen. We, we are committed to the Great Commission because that determines His end time timetable. And I want to say this. We about wars and rumors of wars, that's the title of my message. But on the next slide, just to put this in context, I'm not, okay, this is a good summary. This is a good summary somebody gave me. They said, live each day as if Jesus is coming today. But plan your life as if Jesus is not coming for many years. Live it. Folks, if Jesus comes today, I don't know. He may come today. I don't know. Don't quote me and say the pastor said Jesus is coming today. He could, but he could come tomorrow or the next day or 10 years from now, 100 years from now, or 1,000 years from now. I don't know. The Father knows 100%. It's determined on how far and effectively we preach the gospel and make disciples of nations. Amen? But this is the deal. I live with an expectation. If he comes today, my heart is right. I'm ready with Jesus. I'm ready to go. I have a short account. I'm not living with bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. I forgive people. I, I live with a repentant heart towards the Lord. I turn towards him, a tender heart, yielded to him. I'm ready. If he comes, I'm ready to go, Jesus, today or tomorrow or the next day. But if he doesn't come for another 10 years, I'm going to finish my studies, amen, and I'm going to occupy until he comes. Planning your life. I know a couple. They were so convinced Jesus was coming. They got married. They said, we're not going to have children. And they didn't have children for 10, 15 years until they got tired of waiting, but they really wanted children and they started to have children in their 40s they decided to start having children and they lived with so much regret because they missed a 10 15 years of, of 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 life that they didn't live with their children they loved their children i know of people who decided not to pursue studies because they were worried jesus was coming today or tomorrow or the next day plan as if he's not coming for a thousand years but live as if he could come today amen there's a tension see Merle said this he said you know, there are some th problems that we need to solve 
but there are some tensions that we just need to live with. There's a tension between he could come today or he could come a thousand years from now. It's a tension we need to live with. We can't resolve it. That is with the Father. Amen. But Ephesians 6 verse 10 to 13, we're talking about war. There's war in Ukraine. The guys are fighting like crazy. What do we do? Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Folks, to withstand in the evil day. It's not to withdraw and hide in a cave in the mountains, wait for Jesus. He said we need, in the evil day, what do we do? We need to stand with spiritual weapons. It's a spiritual warfare, folks. This spiritual warfare is not going to die down or subside. There'll be, like birth pangs, there'll times it'll be intense and times it'll be less. But through my generation, my children's generation, there are going to be birth pangs of intense spiritual activity and warfare and earthquakes. But there will be times of peace until Jesus returns. Jesus told the story, actually, of the wheat and the tares, the wheat and, 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 and the weeds and the wheat. And we're going to have wickedness and we're going to have righteousness with us on this planet until we go to be with Jesus. Amen? Just deal with it. Amen? That is just the reality we face. In Ephesians, these same verses, I'm reading to you in the message, it says this, And that about wraps it up, the message Bible says. God is strong. And he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you. These spiritual weapons. I'm not going to go through the list. I'm just looking at the intro to this list of spiritual weapons. Well-made weapons of the best material. Folks, our breastplate, of, uh, our belt of truth. Feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Breastplate of righteousness. Shield of faith. Sword of the Spirit. Helmet of salvation. These are spiritual weapons that God has given us. Put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. The devil's going to throw things at us, folks. Put them to good use so you'll be able to stand up to everything. Not retreat. Stand up. This is no afternoon athletic contest. <laughs> I love the message. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. Folks, this is talking the spiritual war, war we engaged in. This is for keeps. Folks, the spiritual warfare, until you and I breathe our last breath, we are in a spiritual warfare. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. And folks... In Ukraine, they're fighting with real guns. But folks, we're also in a spiritual battle. We fight on our knees. We fight on our knees. Amen. We're not retreating. We're not giving up. We recognize things are going to get good, and sometimes they, things get bad. But we are not giving up. We're not giving up ground. We are not retreating. We are going to be alert. We're going to stay awake. We're going to stay connected to the Lord. We are going to occupy until he comes. We're going to fulfill the great commission. We're going to preach the gospel of the kingdom to every nation. Amen. These are the words of Jesus that we've been looking at in Matthew 13, folks. Jesus is coming. I know that. It'll be glorious. We're going to ride angels on that day. I'm keen. But until that, 
that day. We will live as if He's coming today, but plan our lives and as if it's still a long way off. And so I want to finish with this picture again. Pray for Ukraine. And folks, I want to, I want to, I want to make two offers. If you are not right with Jesus, if you're saying, oh Lord, if you come today, I know I'm not right with you. I'm not convinced that, that I'll be catching a ride with angels to heaven. If that's you, you can pray a simple prayer of surrendering your life to Jesus, is asking Him to forgive you of anything that would displease God. You can pray that prayer right now. We're going to pray with you. That you can be assured that on that day, the angels will come for you. It's not about joining a church. It's about a heart surrender to Jesus, putting your faith in Him and believing that He died on the cross to pay for everything that you did wrong and that displeases God. So I want to firstly give you that opportunity. Can you have every eye closed? If you're sitting here and you're saying, God, I'm not ready. If you were to come today, I'm not sure the angels would come for me. I'm not ready with you. I'm not, in my heart of hearts, I haven't surrendered my life to you. If that's you, why don't you just put up your hand? I want to pray with you. Anybody else? See that hand. Anybody else? Anybody? You're sitting here and you're saying, I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. Folks, let's pray together to help this person. Because if you've prayed this prayer before, this is, a, this is your new reality. We pr- this is how we live. So just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. To cleanse me of all my sin. I put my faith in you. I am yours, your child. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give the Lord a hand? Thank you, Lord. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za And for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels, as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877. To join us for in-person services, visit us at 154 Burkett Road, Scottsville, Peter Maritzburg. We hope to see you soon. God bless.